You're listening to WCOMLP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Face, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney. And man, oh man, I don't know where you're living, but here in the South, it's been mighty hot lately. Mighty hot. Someone could maybe say that we're having mm, a little bit of issues with climate change. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, seriously, the Midwest is getting hit with tornadoes every other day. (laughs) We, before we even got into June, we were having (laughs) high 90s. (laughs) And I know I live in the South. I've grown up in the South. I understand high 90s aren't a weird thing. They're a little bit of a weird thing before June. They're a little bit of a weird thing before June. So before I get to... (laughs) Before I get too far down, my old man thing like, ah, oh, it's so hot, so hot in here. No, I'm not trying to go after that. But I'm going to have this hour, we're going to have a conversation about the glory and hope in the death of the American church. Oh, doesn't that sound great and hopeful? And actually, I, I'm, I'm absolutely being sincere about this. Uh, we're going to delve into this, this whole topic of what does it look like with the church in decline in America and why we should be hopeful. And I mean this not in a snarky way. I mean this in an absolutely hopeful way uh, because I am more and more excited about what's happening next because I know you all need that because right now <laughs> there may not feel a whole lot to be excited about <laughs> when we're living in this hellscape that is America. Oh, good Lord. Legislation in Southern states. What's wrong with you? Why won't all the old white people die? Um, yeah. <laughs> so before I get that, before we hop into that, before I get too curmudgeon-y, Promise you, I won't get too curmudgeon today. Before we get into all that, I've got to give you, I got to give you my healthy dose of the Christian crazy of the week, where I go around and dig up some of the craziest BS I can find from Christians online. There's always abundance of it. It's like I get to eat dessert before my meal. So here you go. Enjoy. Claude Hammers. The Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want. So, okay. So if anyone's listened to the show for any period of time, the Christian crazy, it's hard to top stuff in this, right? I feel like there's, like, for it to at least, like, go, like, to cross the bar of making it into the Christian crazy, it has to be kind of uniquely nutty. There's plenty of crazy stuff out there. There is plenty of crazy stuff on a regular basis. But I feel like I have to give you the choice nuggets, like the the choice bits of this. And this, this, my friends, this, my friends, is beautiful. It is so, (laughs) you're not going to believe me that this is real. Okay, so it brings, it brings together two crackpot minds that, 
that should be no stranger to you here on the Christian crazy part of our show. So you have, you have charismatic preacher Lance uh, Wallenau and televangelist Felon Jim Baker. Okay, so Lance is on Jim's show. You know, no, no, okay, I'll, 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 I'll spoil it a little bit before I let them listen to you. So Lance is on the show saying that, guess what? He is offering to us something, and it, it is beautiful. It is, it is a coin. It is a gold coin. They're at least saying it's a gold coin. It has a picture of Donald Trump and King Cyrus from the Bible because we know exactly what King Cyrus looks like. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there's, well, it's a prayer coin. It's a prayer coin that now I'll let them speak. I'll let them speak about their Donald Trump slash King Cyrus prayer coin. That is something that we need. We need this. So go ahead. Take it away, boys. How many of you have been praying all across America? How many of you have been praying? This coin is our point of contact. When I asked the Lord why the coin, the Lord said, because when you take the coin, it's a point of contact. So your faith is being released with a million other believers to pray protection and peace and wisdom and counsel over the President of the United States and over his family. Mm -hmm. That's our point of contact. Every day right. when you see it, remember, yeah. God puts something in your, in your hand that you have a role in. That's why we've got to pray, because they think we're crazy, but we're actually the sane ones. Right. 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 They're the... They're the sane ones. They're the sane ones. They're the sane ones that like to hold a coin. Hold a coin. All right, go ahead and continue, guys. Seriously. That's and right. And so we're praying. We're going to pray. This, the teaching that is here, this coin yes. is a point of contact, yes. this 24-karat uh, gold-plated coin. And uh, by the way, I had, I had to, uh, I couldn't uh, copy the Sanhedrin model. I told them I would do an original. So we found uh, a nicer picture of the president to use. So well, that's We good. have our own version of it. But what uh, we want to do is we want to be able to start, Jim, this movement. We've got 16 months. It's, this, this battle for the future of America has already started. 16 oh, to 18 yeah. months. We're already in it. We're in the battle right now. Oh, yeah. We need to be praying now and not captive to gloom or anxiety right. or fear but f channeling our, our optimism in the direction of God's begun a miracle, let's keep that miracle going. You know, we've got to keep this miracle going because we've only got so many months to continue to make money off these things. Seriously. Now, the one thing he didn't mention <laughs> is how much these coins cost. They, you get it. You get the Cyrus Trump coin for a donation $45, people. I mean, this is like, it's a steal. It's a gold-looking coin, and it's your point of... Con you know, what gets me about all of this, the, like, these folks are the first ones that are going to try to call something to being like, oh, it's satanic. There's witches out there. There's people doing black magic and all this other kind of stuff. This sounds like the craziest, most superstitious, kind of like quasi... Like voodoo doll situation. Like if we if we rub our finger and pray on Trump's head, it's gonna restore his hair and him to his former glory. I mean, what is this? This is crazy. This is seriously crazy. And 
And I will tell you this, people will buy this. This is why it's insane. They're selling gold coins on a Christian show with the emblazoned, like, idle face of Trump. I mean, again, there's a whole lot of stuff in the Bible about not having false idols and making graven images and all. The, the, yeah, I'm like, my, this kind of makes my brain explode a little bit if you can't hear me going bubba da bubba da bubba da bubba through this. And, and really, also, like, the next point on this that really gets me is that you get this through a donation. So I would have been fine if they were just selling it outright, which they really are. But do you know why it bothers me that they call this a donation? It's because this is tax free for these dumb spiritual charlatans and a-holes. Yeah, yeah. When Jim Baker talks about selling his food buckets to people about how delicious and amazing it is and he fear mongers and tells everyone that the end of the world is coming and you need to buy his buckets, you know that thing? Yeah. You're buying those for a donation. A donation. This is why stuff is so messed up. This is why we're able to have crooks like this. This is why that ministries like this need to be paying taxes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all of this just makes me... I mean, on one level, I'm just like, well, just let the idiots waste their money on paying for this. They deserve it. But on the second thing, it's like, I feel like this trashes everything about faith in Christ. And they, they've turned this into this huge mockery. And, and Christianity has just become in many ways a joke, which I can say boo-hoo that it's a joke or say, hey, this is all screwed up. And hopefully this joke is leading somewhere. Uh, hopefully there is a punchline to this joke that is American Christianity. And, and I do think that. I do think that we are moving towards a punchline because, because, see what I did there? A little transition there. See what happened? Because, because this brings me to my next point of order here. Okay, so all that fun and frivolity brings us to my main point uh, that I want to kind of descend into for the rest of our show here. And, and, and I want to talk about this, and I'm going to begin by by quoting uh, author Michael Frost um, in his book, Exiles. He writes this, I, for one, am happy to see the end of Christendom. I'm glad that we can no longer rely on temporal cultural supports to reinforce our message or the validity of our presence. I suspect that the increasing marginalization of the Christian movement in the West is the very thing that will wake us up to the marvelously exciting, dangerous, confronting message of Jesus. We are exiles on foreign soil, post-Christendom, post-modern, post-literate, and so on. And maybe, at last, it's time to start living like exiles. As a pesky fringe, dwelling alternative to the dominant forces of our times. And as the saying goes, way out people know the way out. I dig that. I dig that a lot at the end. The way out people know the way out. And, and throughout his book, and this is a book I just recently re-picked up. It's one I'd read years ago. And really kind of digging back into really just some of the thrust of what Frost is talking about here is that, that in many ways, once the Christian church became part of dominant culture, that became part of 
politics and and government, which happened <laughs> centuries ago, um, but has continued to kind of fit into that same mold of power and prestige and platform. It lost something. It, it lost the heart of Christ. As the church sought to be the center of everything, to control the center of everything, to be the main voice, to be the main power, to be the center of culture. And the church is dying. We've talked about that many times here on the show. Um, and as I was just doing some digging around, because I do that every week, um, I, I was just, I was struck by stuff uh, like this. Um, and this is coming from like Christianity Today. So do you realize that this is, <laughs> this is very, this is conservative. This is pretty much center uh, of the empire Christianity type stuff. And even then, um, they had two different articles that were just, that were published recently. One, that only half of the kids raised uh, Southern Baptists stay Southern Baptists. And the other one, that Southern Baptists are down to its lowest numbers and membership in 30 years. And you begin to see this. You begin to kind of see us living in this, this post-Christian nation. Now, we've talked uh, at length um, about the sins of the Southern Baptist Church, especially here in the South. And we've talked endlessly about the Catholic Church and the sins of the Catholic Church. And in the same right, the, I, there's articles out there of the Catholic Church trying to reinvigorate this idea of evangelism, something that they haven't really had to deal with just because they've been the Catholic Church, um, because they've been big enough. But again, we're living in a post-Christian time, especially here in the West, especially here in America. And, and I say that with with excitement, I say that with the same excitement that Michael Frost talked about. The fact that when you begin to live on the margins and the fringes, that is the place where God moves. That's the place where faith really matters. And faith isn't comfortable. And faith isn't about money. And faith isn't about power. And faith isn't about politics. And faith isn't about any of these things. And, and what, what's, what's really interesting when you begin to look into just different voices that are speaking about what it means to be post-Christian in America, you see, you see the, the whole spectrum. You see those that, that are seeing this as an opportunity, uh, but you also see those that are freaking out. Um, and, and I think in many ways we're beginning to see this, especially with, with what is ending up happening, especially in legislation in the South about um, the banning of abortions that are just kind of cascading through many of the southern states right now, we begin to see this. And if you want to catch this on one of our last or several podcasts ago, when we talked about this idea of a Project Blitz, which has been a a move to push through legislation on the state levels um, that are pretty much mimicking each other, and we're seeing this as it's happening. Um, it's a blueprint. It's a blueprint. Um, it's kind of like the last gasp of air for the religious right. Because they know they're at an apex right now. Donald Trump, like, this is what they've been waiting for forever. Especially when we hear <laughs> earlier that they're treating him almost like he's some sort of a god. This is the best that they can hope for. And because of it, they're tending to expose themselves for the fact that they are not 
like Jesus. That Christianity in America, by and large, does not like Jesus. It does not have compassion like Jesus. It does not have love like Jesus. It does not look self-sacrificial like Jesus. It does not uh, call its followers to be servants to all, um, to love their enemies. You know, all those kind of things. Those kind of things that you would think would be like the core tenets of what it means to follow after the ways and teachings of Jesus. You know, those kind of things, those things, those things that they've kind of forgotten, those things that they've said, Trump is the end, justifies the means for us, and it is totally fine for us. You know, he is a useful tool, an emphasis on tool when it comes to him. And he plays along and they play along. You know, we even have... uh, Yes, pastors calling for a national day of prayer to be able to cover the president because of all of the attacks that are coming against him that were caused by him. So, yeah, yeah, we all need to be out praying that the president doesn't get called on his own BS, that the president doesn't get in trouble for the sins and the actions of an immoral grifter and chief. So yes, so many of those in the conservative uh, realm would say, oh, our president's under attack and we need to be praying for him because we're about to lose it. We're about to lose this nation. And my answer to it is, wait, wait, wait. First of all, are we losing our nation or are we losing our, our, our Christian influence? Uh, Christian influence that ends up feeling more like Christian privilege. Um, especially to the fact that Christianity doesn't even really know what it's about anymore. It's about building buildings and it's about pastors with egos and hierarchies and treating congregations, not like community, but treating them like numbers, no names, just numbers. Treating them like they are people that give us money to continue to let us do this so we can continue to sound holy and continue to make names for ourselves. And that is the sad state of Christianity. But, 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 it would be easy to devolve into that. But I want to talk about this. And, and, I, and I, I, I came across this um, just recently in my reading. And this comes from uh, Flannery O'Connor. And it's going to be, I'll, I'll, it's going to take us on a little bit of a, of a tangent, but then towards the end right back to where we need to be. And Flannery O'Connor said this, said, whenever I'm asked why Southern writers particularly have a penchant for writing about freaks, I say it is because we are still able to recognize one. To be able to recognize a freak, you have to have some conception of the whole man. And in the South, the general conception of a man is still, in the main, theological. That is a large statement, and it is dangerous to make. For almost anything you say about Southern belief can be denied in the next breath with equal propriety. But approaching the subject from the standpoint of the writer, I think it is safe to say that while the South is hardly Christ-centered, it is most certainly Christ-haunted. The Southerner, who isn't convinced of it, is very much afraid that he may have been formed in the image and likeness of God. Ghosts can be very fierce and instructive, and they cast strange shadows. I love, I love, I love that line. 
talking about the South, but I feel like it, it informs a conversation we're having really just on a larger scale of, of, of faith and religion in America. But she says this, and I could say this, just recontextualizing what she's saying, is that American Christianity is hardly Christ-centered. It is most certainly Christ-haunted. means that there are still good things that happen in the peripheries of the churches, though that is not their main focus. Goodness still does happen by almost accident. And I feel like to be haunted by Christ, Christ haunts the margins. Christ haunts those whose message breaks their hearts. Christ haunts those that have no dignity, where his message gives them dignity. And so I talk about the death of the church and I talk about the death of Christendom, but I do not talk about the death of Christ. I do not talk about the death of the way of following Christ. So I need to make sure that we see the distinctive difference between that. It's the difference between the maker and the machine. So let that sink in a bit. And so I think that this is, this is where the disconnect that we find, we find ourselves in, that that we assume since Christ created a movement and then the rest of us have created all these, these things around it, around this movement. We took his movement and we've changed it, bent it to fit our own cultural will, to fit our own wishes and desires. We've, we've recontextualized it really out of our own selfishness and our own desire for piety. The teachings haven't changed. It's just how we've treated the teachings. It's just how we've treated the machine. And in this time, when you begin to see this, and, 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 and if you do, if you do want to hang out and, and be a nerd like me and kind of scour around all these weird Christian news sites and, 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 and news sites as well like from that, you begin to see this air of a fear. You see this air of fear, and a lot of it, it, you're seeing it come out of especially the conservative right. There's a fear. And, and while they have always been a group that has relished in fear-mongering, especially to continue to give control to their, to their congregations and their followers, I, I, I feel like it's at a place where it's getting even crazier, which again is why we have the Christian crazy at the beginning of, of our show every week to be able to see just how unhinged they are getting. But in a lot of these realms, I, I'm, I'm hearing cries of, of, well, let me give you a better example of this before I talk about what they were crying about, <laughs> crying out about. One thing I've noticed and this is something that you can see in a lot of a lot of powerful pastors or especially in in folks on on the religious right it, it's 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 not it's not inherently well it's 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 a sign of extreme hubris it's a sign of of ego and and you see this best with trump and no i'm not making this this hour about trump it's it's easy to but one one thing i do notice about him and, and one of it comes from the fact that, that he has no self-awareness. And it's kind of a gift 
Because usually the things that he's declaring that other people are doing, it's something that he's been doing. When, when he's declaring that other people, like the, that the election, this is before he was elected, the election's going to be rigged. Um, and the election was rigged, but it was rigged for him. And, and you begin to see this. There's like this, this fear of holding on to power, and there's this hubris that fuels a lot of this. But, but what ends up people doing, they end up kind of fearing the thing that they are doing, but they project it onto whoever the other is in their argument. They project it upon, you know, if you're a Republican, you're projecting this onto Democrats. If you're a conservative Christian, you're projecting this onto uh, liberals or non-believers or, or all of that kind of, all that kind of jazz. And so you project your fears onto other people. But really at the core of it, I think their fears are the things that they actually want to do. And what I mean by this is that you begin to see that conservative voices now are being able to talk about the, the fear. They're trying to put the fear of God into people because we may be close to civil war. They keep saying stuff like this. And I just, I roll my eyes at this because it's, it, all the things that they're talking about are highly illogical and they don't even really make sense, but I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm not one of those that is really listening to the crazy BS that they're spinning. And when Christianity has, has really painted itself into a corner, when Christianity has really become about gaining and maintaining power and forcing your ideas and beliefs onto other people, it's not really Christianity anymore. Like it's a system of authoritarianism. Or, or, or it's the, you know, the wet dream of many conservatives is that we would become some sort of a theocracy. Um, but I'm beginning to see, and this is, and I'm, I'm saying all this in, in, in a weird way today uh, to really say that I actually have a hope <laughs> in the fall of all of this. Um, and I don't mean autumn. Uh, when all of this will come crashing down, and it will. And... And I was talking to, to one of my friends the other day. We were sitting and hanging out having a beer. And he started telling me, I was kind of just unpacking some of just the, my frustrations and my, and my grief about, about a lot of stuff that's going on in the world today. And then so he, he, he laughs and he goes, he's like, well, I have a friend. I have a friend uh, that's pastoring United Methodist Church. And, you know, his new job, uh, what he's doing is he's working on post-Christian uh, movements or post-church movements to where it's like we read a psalm and go on a hike. And and I laughed when he said that. And he's like, what? And I was like, no, I'm not laughing because I, it just kind of sounds cheesy and half-assed and lame. Um, I was laughing at the fact that this is part of the United Methodist Church. And if, if anybody doesn't know the United Methodist Church, they, they've, they've, they flirted with schism for the last while, especially with their stances um, with how they handle, um, well, the LGBTQ brothers and sisters within the church where there are, there's a lot of the churches that want to be affirming and there's a lot that do not. Um, but what I began to see here is, especially in the United Methodist Church, and I think that they're, they're an easy way to be able to look at this. And I'm not necessarily picking on them. I'm just using them as, as an interesting example. But they have really wanted to be all things to all people. 
everyone can kind of believe a little bit of what you want and you have your own little crowd here, which they're kind of like almost a perspective of just how the, the denominational landscape looks like for, for Western Christianity. And, and it's like, they want to be under this nice big roof where you believe what you would believe. You believe what you believe. You do this here. You do this here. Why, why, why? Because we're a big machine and we need to keep the machine running. And well, what do we need? What is the fuel? Well, it's people. People are our fuel because people give us money and because people give us numbers and we can brag about that as we move forward. And, and what struck me was that this whole thing is like this big, large Ponzi scheme. Like as long as you keep moving and as long as you keep creating new and different stuff to try to seem like either hip or together, but at the same time remaining very, you know, conservative and having traditional stuff here, it's we just kind of keep moving forward because you got to keep the old ones that are dying happy because they got the money, got to keep the new ones uh, that are upcoming happy because, hey, 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 we don't want this thing to die. And and it ends up being, and we see this all over for for Christianity it's a, it has become this huge Ponzi scheme. As long as we keep moving, as long as we keep making promises and just cashing that next check and moving forward, we can kind of survive. But the funny thing about this is, and, and, and it's the one thing that I feel like a lot of these articles, especially in, um, from Christian platforms are writing about this and trying to figure out, like, you know, it goes from, Oh, the decline of the church that yes, church numbers are diving just across the board in America that whereas there's the rise of the nuns, the people that don't um, go to church. And we're, we're, we're beginning to see this, but we're also speaking about this only from the business model side of things. That makes sense. So somehow the only way for us to be able to track people's spirituality or allegiance to the teachings and ways of Jesus are through businesses or nonprofit organizations that we call churches, businesses for that matter. So do you see what I'm getting at here within this? That we're not really charting anything here based upon anything spiritually. We're not, we're not really worried about the spiritual health or dynamics or depth of people. No, no, no. We're talking about the fall of Christianity as in the fall of the machine, the fall of the moneymaker, the fall of the Christian industrial complex. And that's what people are talking about. Does it mean that people have lost their love for Jesus because they don't go to a pre-organized, uh, pre-prepared service that people tell you will begin at this time and end at this time because that is what we have defined spirituality as, as everything is a programmed experience. And, and all of these outlets are writing about the death of Christianity from that standpoint. But the funny thing is, none, none of that was, was anything that Jesus was concerned about in the Bible. None of it was. Jesus was always concerned about people on the margins of the empire. And the problem is that the church, the church kind of looks a lot like the empire that we live in, this, this materialistic, consumeristic American empire that is totally fine with killing the planet and making the rich richer and the poor poorer. Church kind of exists fairly well in that paradigm. It's learned, it is learned to adapt it has learned to change itself just so it fits in. But wait, not just so it fits in, so it also feels powerful too. You see where I'm getting at here? So as much as we see all of these articles about people bemoaning about where things are going and how bad it's going to be and, oh my gosh, the loss of spirituality because people aren't listening to Pat Robertson or going to the next megachurch, we've lost it. 
because I did, I did, I did um, want to remind a lot of these publications and, 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 you know, we have people that hate listen to the show. So, Hey, we love having you here. <laughs> I'm all good for hate listeners. <laughs> I hate listening to other things too. So join the club. No, but I'm reminded by this. Um, and this comes from first Peter It's first Peter two, five through nine. Uh, Peter says this, you also as living stones are being built up are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices, accepting to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises to him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He is talking about this idea of the priesthood of every believer. And what struck me was I, I was, I was reading some, there's, there's some fascinating articles that, that didn't completely fit the, the whole shebang of what we we're going to talk about today, but they kind of were informing this. And there's this, there's a fascinating article by, by James Carroll in the Atlantic called the uh, abolish the priesthood. Um, and he says to save the church, Catholics must detach themselves from the clerical hierarchy and take the faith back into their own hands. And a lot of what he is talking about, especially speaking out against the cover-ups, uh, the trappings of the empire, the trappings of wealth that have become known as the Catholic church. Um, and especially to where we begin to see the Catholic Church cares more about its own self, its own organizations and, and machinations of, of what it is. It cares more about that than it does caring about the children that it continues to perpetually hurt, where it continues to shuffle around priests. And I could say the same thing, not just pointing my finger at the Catholic Church, the same thing at this uh, Southern Baptist Church. And there's been so many other organizations that we've kind of begin to see more and more people bravely coming out and calling BS and calling the church into accountability, which, which, which needs to be done. But um, I was reminded by that. And in the article that, uh, in the article, he presents it like this. He says, the power structure is not the church. The church is the people of God. And I refuse to let a predator priest or a complicit bishop rip my faith from me. And I would go as far to say this, and to, to wholeheartedly agree with what he was saying, but saying the scope isn't large enough. The power structure is not the church. The church is the people of God. And I refuse, I refuse to let the greedy, I refuse to let the power hungry, I refuse to let the abusers, the fakes, the politicians, those that are a wolf in sheep's clothing. I refuse to let all of these, these people that piss on the name of Jesus on a regular basis, but do it in the name of Jesus. We refuse to let them rip our faith away from us. And so I say all of this, I say all of this that we are seeing, I say all of this is exciting. I say that we are living in a time that is exciting because people are calling out those systems of power. They are calling out those systems of corruption. And people are actually waking up to the fact that the church today no longer offers answers. No longer offers answers for us that are struggling to live in the world today. They offer control. They offer structures that make us feel 
like we're getting good with God, but that really require very little of us aside from our attendance and our money. You see, the church at its best, and I know it's cliche to always return to the early church. Um, it is, it is. It's easy to talk about a time period that I never existed around, that I've read in story and stories and and historical accounts. It's easy to 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 have like the that utopian idea of paradise way, way, way back then. But I, I remember even preaching. It was one of the first times I preached in front of like a large group of people at a large church and you know, it was one of those kind of sermons about, yes, we need to get out. We need to actually just be a people that live communally, people that 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 take the teachings of Jesus very seriously. And I remember it was one of the, the elders of the church came up to you afterwards and he said, those words all sound beautiful and great and nice, but, you know, what are we just supposed to be, a bunch of spiritual hippies? And I didn't really know what to say to him, especially I was, I was thankfully, uh, in my younger years, and it was one of the probably fewer times I, well, I held my tongue. And I just asked him, I was like, well, what do you think it means? What do you think the Bible is calling us to do? And he didn't really have an answer because he liked something that was very easy and very controllable and something that we can put our faith in a very tiny box, something that doesn't really require much of us. You know, it may require a few hours of us a few times a week, but it doesn't leak into our uh, decisions about how we spend money or how we spend our time or what kind of vocation that we go into or how we invest ourselves in our lives. Following Jesus was never about avoiding inconvenience. Doing the right thing <laughs> by its very nature many times requires plenty of heaps of inconvenience. Why? Because as humans, we like the easy road. I, hey, hey, I'm not knocking it. The easy road is fun. It, it is by its very nature easy, right? That, that's, that's, that's how we speak of it. But when we begin to see how fractured we are, we begin to see human suffering. We begin to see people living like below the poverty line in our cities as we see wealthy people continue to amass more and more wealth and influence. And they continue to find ways to not pay for taxes and they continue to rig the system. See, Christianity should not say, great, more for me. Let's hop on this. Let's go and talk to those rich people because they can fund all of our projects. Let's kiss their asses and bow to them because the end justifies the mean. And what does the end justifies the mean look like in Christianity? Oh, oh, oh. Look at that big, orange, bloated mass that we call a president. That's, that's the ugly picture of the end justifying the mean within Christianity. It's sickening. It's disgusting and it's gross. And again, nothing to do with Jesus. So the hopeful nature in all of this is this. Guess what? You don't need it. You don't need that church. You don't need that service. You don't need all of that. 
we don't live in a time period like they did a couple hundred years ago where the Bible's in Latin and there's no nothing online that you can go and search to find the, you know, to ha- find the translations for the Greek or the Hebrew and all that kind of stuff. There's 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 plenty of commentary. There's the, what I'm trying to say is the Bible isn't something that we need necessarily a priest or a pastor to interpret for us. Especially when you run to the teachings of Jesus, they are very simple. They are very practical. And they do not they do not require any kind of mental or spiritual gymnastics to try to justify our own behavior and at the same time act like we're acting like Jesus. No, it's simple stuff. Hard to do, but simple stuff. Love your neighbor, love your enemy. Simple idea and something that (laughs) will constantly cause you to struggle through, to continue to ask yourself, to continue to check your heart, to check what you're doing and your motivations behind that. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example of how simple this is and why we don't need these structures and systems that make us somehow feel like we need them. Because ultimately, let's just pretend. Let's pretend every church in America closes, right? All of them are closed for business. Closed for business. Does that still mean the teachings of Jesus are gone? Or that lawlessness will reign in our country no, I've seen, I've seen a great uprising of social justice and social interacting and social engagement amongst people. And they may not be using the words of Jesus, but they sure look a heck of a lot like Jesus. Because I think Christianity has forgotten how to have an imagination. It's forgotten to go look in those places that no one's looking in to see where God is moving. So, sorry, here's my example. Here's my example. Let's get a little Sunday schoolish. This comes from Matthew 5. Uh, it comes from a section where Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm just going to read how easy some of this is to be able to conceive. Jesus says this. It's uh, Matthew 5:38. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, which was the old way of thinking of things. Revenge. He continues saying this. But I tell you, Do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Not even the tax collectors do that. And if you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be careful not to practice your own righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. And if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you do give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, 
Do not tell your left hand what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Simply put, love everyone. Do not return evil or violence with evil and violence. And give to those because we're called to give to those and to help people to make this world a better place, but not because it gives us status or prestige. When you begin to see simple teachings like this, why do we need multi-million dollar buildings? Why do we need this? Because if you think about this, right? So if the churches, the churches in America, have had their reign for a good while. They've had their reign for a good while, right? Right? We, we have been called a, quote, Christian nation for so long. So if we have had so many asses and pews for so many years, why are we here with all of the churches dying? Oh, wait, were we not really teaching anybody to kind of do those hard things of Jesus? Did we kind of like get caught up in really just playing church and not actually talking to people about Jesus, instructing people how to go live self, self-sacrificial lives to do good? to make our communities better, to help heal the, the lost and the hurt and the broken, you know, those kind of things, those kind of like the central, central core tenets of Christianity. Yeah. If we were pouring money into churches and in pastors' salaries, and it was really transforming our communities, we wouldn't be seeing these churches dying. Why? Because people are leaving it because they think that it's a bunch of BS. They think that the church is hypocritical and that Christians do not practice what they preach. They think Christians are fake and judgmental, and they are right. I'm not saying everybody. I'm speaking in broad terms here. But I just want us to think about that. And I know what old folks will say. Well, it's we lost it. You know, it was culture changed, and we started becoming less and less Christian. No. No. We were fueling an idea because it made us feel good to say that we were Christians because it made us feel good to say that we know we're going where we die. And then it made us feel our communities were more righteous and holy because we had a bunch of buildings in our community. And then it became a thing to be able to judge people for who goes to church and who doesn't go to church. That becomes the church game and it has nothing to do with being able to help people that are hurting Because historically, the American church has judged the marginalized and has shamed the needy. We haven't restored dignity to people that have none. We haven't offered people a hand out of the suffering and pain that they're in. It's been more about some sort of a spiritual authority over people or a spiritual hierarchy or a spiritual (sighs) I'm excited I'm excited when I read these things not just because I like burning stuff down not just because I like deconstructing not because I, I, I like any of that but I return to like what we were reading about Michael Frost was saying that as I began our hour, or our discussion about this, 
when he talks about this, he talks about the glory of what Christianity was like when it was on the margins. And when he said, way out people know the way out. So those that know what it's like to suffer, those that know what it's like to not have it all together, those that know how to own our crap are the ones that are closer to Jesus. And I don't want to be caught up in what Flannery O'Connor was talking about. The ghosts of Christ. And O'Connor is right to say that. Because when we begin to talk about the ghosts of Christ, it tells us that Christ is dead, that his message is dead, that there's just echoes left in it. But the truth is that there's just echoes left in the American church. The ghost of the American church continues to haunt us. The ghost of controlling pious culture past continues to haunt us. But not me. I'm excited. I'm excited to start seeing what begins to happen with with faith and with spirituality and with the nature of Jesus and how we live and love in our communities when you begin to take the railings off. When it's it's I feel like Christianity has lived too long with its training wheels on. We've been bowling with the bumper pads up on each side. And it's made us brag about how awesome our bowling scores are. And that's fine as long as you're like 5. But a Christianity <laughs> with the bumpers on the sides of each lane isn't really Christianity. It's just a place that charges you a lot of money to tell you that you're bowling when you're really not bowling. And the place is glad to continue to take your money for you to put your feet in stanky old shoes and sit in stanky old pews. And all of this reminds me of the wildness of the Celtic Christians where they would refer to God's Holy Spirit as the wild goose. This idea of being able to chase after this wild goose that you did not know where it was going to go. It may zig when it's, you think it's going to zag. And I think Christianity has become way too safe. When Christianity becomes safe, it ends up looking like it does today. A bunch of people that would rather pontificate about spiritual matters instead of living them out. Because it's easier to quote scripture than it is to live scripture. And, and all of that, all of that reminds me of the life of Rachel Held Evans. We, we, we talked about her a few weeks back with, with her, her recent and sudden death. She was a question asker. She was someone that loved people very deeply. And her questions... She asked questions against those in power, and she poked holes, but she was truthful, and her words inspired people that were tired of being lied to and abused and treated like crap all in the name of God. And back at the beginning of, of the month, they had her, they had her funeral service, and it's available to find online. It's, it's, it is, it's, it's, it's quite, it's quite a beautiful and touching service. And, and at the end of it, um, Nadia Boltz Weber gave a very stirring blessing and benediction. 
that I thought in many ways summed up the heart and the life of Rachel Held Evans. And I think in the same right, this idea of, of I think in the same right, it, it really speaks to us. It speaks to where we're at right now. And, and I think that it gives us all a hope for better days to come. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, end our hour with that. And I'm going to give you the uh, signing off now, and then we'll lead into that. So I will tell you what I always tell you at the end of every hour, that um, as we end this broadcast, that you can catch us on podcast at www.snarkyfaith.com. You can also... Find us on Facebook and Twitter, um, and that if you have questions, ideas, criticisms, whatever you want, uh, shoot them my way, questions at snarkyfaith.com. Uh, I love the good and the bad. I just love hearing from you guys. But I, I appreciate you. I appreciate you being part of this process with me as I wrestle through stuff alongside of many of you. Um, I wrestle, and I have a hope for better days ahead, for new things, for excitement, for for wilderness, for dirt under my fingernails, for new faces and new friends and new conversations and new tears and new blood and new sweat because that is the heart of Christianity. To be blessed this week, and I lead you with this beautiful benediction. Receive this as a benediction. Blessed are the agnostics. Blessed are they who doubt. Blessed are those who have nothing to offer. Blessed are the preschoolers who cut in line at communion. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. Blessed are those who no one else notices. The kids who sit alone at middle school lunch tables the laundry guys at the hospital, the sex workers in the night shift street sweepers, the closeted, the teens who have to figure out ways to hide the new cuts on their arms. Blessed are the meek. You are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. Blessed are they who have loved enough to know what loss feels like. Blessed are the mothers of the miscarried. Blessed are they who can't fall apart because they have to keep it together for everyone else. Blessed are those who still aren't over it yet. Blessed are those who mourn. You are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. I imagine Jesus standing here blessing us because I believe that is our Lord's nature. This Jesus cried at his friend's tomb and turned the other cheek and forgave those who hung him on a cross because he was God's beatitude. He was God's blessing to the weak in a world that only admires the strong. And shall Rachel have this last word? Jesus invites us into a story bigger than ourselves and our imaginations. Yet we all get to tell that story with the scandalous particularity of this moment and this place. We are storytelling creatures because we're fashioned in the image of a storytelling God. May we never neglect that gift. May we never lose our love for telling the story. Amen. 
WCOM is listener-supported community radio, and Snarky Faith is only possible through our sponsors. Lumen, a spiritual community of seekers, sojourners, question-askers, doubters, and skeptics, is a collective of fellow travelers that embrace the truth that all of life is sacred, hope is real, and tomorrow can be a better day than today. All are welcome. You can find more information at www.lumencommunities.com.